You're listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast, where we teach you to stay away from those who say things like this. The first point that we talk to you about being empowered to lead uh, is this, this idea. I want you to know that first, number one, you were born to lead. So you're like, I, I don't see myself as a corporate CEO. I don't see myself as, a, as necessarily an entrepreneur. Some, you do see yourself as that, and you feel like you're trapped in a dead-end role, in a dead-end job. And that you feel that there's more. I, I believe God's going to speak to you and give you visions. He's going to give you dreams about what's next. And then he's going to show you how to gain wisdom as you prepare to move into that. And those who say this. Baptism is intended to be a symbol that symbolizes death into life. It's like a burial followed by a birth. Right. Or this. The Bible says when Jesus held up that bread... On that night with his disciples, he just simply said, this would symbolize my body. As well as those who have never studied Greek, but want you to believe they have. God's plan is for you and I, his people, to live and walk in power. Now this word power is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive. It's time now to join your hosts. Pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruss, and whoever else they invite as they continue their quest to train you in properly dividing law and gospel and staying away from the sacramentarians. Well, Pastor Oakray, I know I had to like uh, twist your arm to get you into the Pluck Chicken Studios today because you are not a fan of listening to bad theology. It just kind of grates on your nerves even though we all know what you do we've heard it before you 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 really give the guy a lot of credit and then something he says it just flips a switch in you and it is all demonic from then on out well i i do try to put the best construction on things i think there's somewhere that for we're a little told, while that we're told to do that well, I, I think I always do, honestly. There's just some things you can't uh, you can't dress too many things up. You know, you can't put lipstick on a pig, or you can. Well, you can, but yeah, that's sure. honestly we we get confused about putting the best construction on things sometimes. Be positive and upbeat. Notice things, but if there if somebody has wrong theology, you have to point it out. Scripture's so clear on that. Absolutely. So. Well, I'm glad you're here today. We're going to be listening to a guy talk about what we would term sacrament of the altar. And I do have to say, he says some good things. Okay. The problem is, he starts talking about some other things, and I don't know where he gets it from, and so maybe I'm just, you know, out to lunch, and this is why I needed you to, like, double-check what's going on here. So he's talking about the Lord's Supper, as I said, and I have noticed as I look through, you know, church recordings and podcasts and things like this. These guys will do like four, five, six series, sermon series of, of, like I said, four, five, or six, and it's on a topic that I would certainly be interested in, but I'm not going to listen to six sermons, and we're certainly not going to critique six sermons on the Pluck Chicken podcast. So you have to go and look for these one-off, these standalone sermons, and that generally comes in the form of a sermon on baptism, a sermon on the Lord's Supper, 
or they've got a guest preacher in. That's what we did here not too terribly long ago. Right. Uh, they had a guest preacher at this church, and we listened to him. Uh, I don't even remember what he was talking about. What was it? His truck. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, um, his eight trucks. Yeah, eight cars. Yeah. How interesting is that? If that the most you can regularly say on baptism and the Lord's Supper is one thing. Why not have a? Why can, why wouldn't you do a sermon series on it? Maybe because you just don't have anything more to say. But you can talk about generosity for seven weeks. I feel like I could preach us for I could I could preach a Lytton season on the Lord's Supper. I could preach a Lytton season on baptism. There's a lot to sure. say in there. There's some baptism's particularly rich just in its imagery and the lord's supper is particularly rich just in its its use in the church and so that's a kind of a statement in itself that these are tend to be one-off sermons just one-off sermons actually i went to a church this past tuesday it's a, it's a baptist church it's where my parents go and the pastor was talking about same topic the lord's supper i thought it was really interesting because guess what he called it he called it the real presence. What does this mean? Right. It's <laughs> always the question. Right, right. Where is it written and what does this mean are two great questions that Lutherans are raised with and taught to ask. What does this mean? That's kind of the, the crazy part about it. And I literally mean schizophrenic part. He calls it real presence, but a little bit later on, it symbolizes. So it's not real presence even though you call it that people are wrestling with this because you can't read the text that talk about the lord's supper you can't read the text that talk about baptism and not step away from it saying there's some really impressive things connected to these acts these rites and these elements and i understand the desire is to say, well, I can't under, I don't understand how that works, and so I'm, I'm going to sim- make it symbolic. I understand that thought process. I feel like when we hear somebody who comes out of the symbolic language of the sacraments, I mean, they wouldn't even call them sacraments, right? They would call them ordinances or something like that. They're wrestling with biblical truth, and we can admire that. I'm, I'm putting the lipstick on the pig, I guess, but you know, I do that. Oh, we know they're wrestling. And I admire that, but they cannot turn the page. That's the problem. Yes, that's correct. And we'll get through the entirety of this sermon, which is not terribly long. And if we have time, we'll we'll go back and uh, find this sermon that I heard on Thanksgiving. And uh, again, the guy said some really good things. But when you put it all together, it's schizophrenic. It'll drive you crazy. Right. All right. So here we go. I want to talk to you today about the power of communion. So communion is a practice that we we do in the church, and it's been happening since the day Jesus was with his disciples. And my sermon title today is Come to the Table. Jesus is inviting us to come to his table for communion. Today I'm going to teach you some principles behind that that I think will unlock many of God's blessings in your life. And so I'm excited about it. Before I begin, I want to take a quick survey. What is it? What's going on? I mean, what he said thus far, he's not said anything wrong. We would probably say the same things except what? Well, principles that unlock is always very interesting to me. And it really is just a language difference. We have language that we use in the Lutheran church that people hear and they're like, that 
What what do you mean by that? You know, and but principles that unlock always sounds very well. It sounds a little mystical, gnostic. And, uh, I mean, that language I think finally comes from there, and and that gnosticism probably seeping in through the back door through kind of the self help language, right? I mean, how many books are there at Barnes and Noble that have principles that unlock something? This is right in that line. So, and I think that's a very evangelical approach to God's word. How is this helpful for you? Now, there's lots of things in God's word that are helpful for you. Uh, we always put the principle, where's Christ uh, in this text? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, he is the help of the helpless, of course. And so if we find Christ, we find our help. But we don't put the, the help part forward. We put Christ forward. Any of you, when uh, you are you know, talking about that third meal of the day, and you say either come to dinner or come to supper. Who are the dinner people in here? Do we have dinner? Who says come to supper? We have any supper people? All right, interesting. Oh, Harriet and I were talking about that the other day. Is it dinner or supper? And I don't know. I think maybe it's a generation ahead of us started that. And it's, and it's southern. Maybe it's along the Appalachian Trail. Maybe maybe we were the supper people. My mom said supper. And I knew when she said it's time to go eat supper, I was like, yes, it's time. So um, supper. Communion is also called the Lord's. I'm just thinking maybe we got it wrong today. I'm just thinking some, maybe we've got it wrong, but listen, when we, when we learn about this today, I, I really believe that God will use communion in your life, not just today. And we're going to take communion at the end of my message, but he'll use it every time you take communion to bring healing into your body, to bring just spiritual vitality into your life. And so I, I can't wait to share with you about this. If you're new to church and you're like, what is communion? Let me, let me just teach him a few minutes about what communion is. And communion is a moment to remember Jesus Christ through the symbolism of bread and wine. And I put in parentheses juice. So Jesus used wine. We tend to use juice just because it makes it a little easier in the church life. All right. So if you want to use wine at home, you go for it. But here we're just using juice to represent the wine. Represent the blood. Or, or is it juice to represent the wine, which, which represents, represents the blood? It's a, three, it's, a, it's a double representation. Very interesting because he is ascribing something to it that's more than symbolic at, at the outset. I uh, noticed this. About healing. And vitality. And vitality. And we, honestly, that's very close to what our post-communion collect gathers that in, right? Mm -hmm. we, we want to be strengthened through this supper in the one true faith so we, we we it's bolstering to faith it's for the forgiveness of sins that's healing right i mean I, and i and i it doesn't sound like this guy's talking about healing in another he's talking about the spiritual healing forgiveness i mean maybe maybe i don't yeah, just so far he hasn't i mean okay. he hasn't said anything to to make me assume anything else okay and so i'm gonna i'm gonna keep things on my level okay. with him okay um but then, however course, let's keep this in mind when it turns, because it's going to turn, I think, in a direction that is really going to okay. flip your lid. Okay, good Good to know. He mentioned communion at home, which is very interesting. Well, these are the people online, you know, because okay. he has an online presence. And this is one of those guys who would say, when we have communion, uh, you need to go to your refrigerator and get whatever whatever you can get out of your refrigerator and come back. 
and, okay. and join us uh, virtually. It is a little crazy, isn't it? That I mean, him even suggesting that the people watching would have wine at home. That's in the last 20 years. I mean, 20 years ago, that would be a, a scandalous thing for him to suggest, I think, in most evangelical communities. Granted, people weren't watching online 20 years ago either. Fair. But I'm just, it used to be much more teetotaling. And, and I think over the last 20 years, we've seen a very drastic shift into saying, this is fine in moderation, which has right. been the Lutheran stance for the time. But it is interesting that he said they use wine for the usefulness of the church, for the functionality of the church, something like that. And I wonder what he means by that. I just, I, I just wonder if there's some people. Oh, no, they use juice for that. Right. That's what I, yeah, I'm sorry. They use juice because it's more comfortable in their church setting. And I don't know what that means. As I, I, I would imagine he has some older folks in that church that maybe think it's wrong or this, they've always done juice and it's just easier. I'm not sure what he means by that. It's because it's not, it's not hard to go down and buy a bottle of Mogan David. <laughs> it's probably, it probably is more expensive. Um, I would guess, but I mean, I don't know. Morgan David is not that expensive. <laughs> but you don't have to refrigerate it, right? Just well, leave it out till next week. True. Anyway, I, all of this is, uh, that's an interesting point. So, I mean, I guess it's worth maybe spending a little time talking about what are the elements and why do they matter? And I think some people are very hardline on this, right? It has to be wine. But then the question is, well, what is wine? <laughs> because some people will, will have wine, but then they'll denature it. Right. Or, you know, they'll take a, a thing of water and put a drop of wine into it. And I think anytime we're we're doing that, we're we're at least pushing the boundaries or at least testing the boundaries. Let's say it that way. We are testing the boundaries of these things. And all we know is that God in, that God instituted this, Christ instituted this, and he used specific elements. He used bread, unleavened bread, and he used wine. We don't know exactly what kind of wine it was. I mean, people do all kinds of stuff and could probably say it was probably this kind of wine, whatever. Um, but we certainly don't say you have to have wine from Israel for it to be the Lord's Supper. And it's interesting to me how many depictions of the Lord's Supper are a loaf of bread, a yeasted loaf for the Lord's Supper. And I've never known of somebody to have a hang up about using yeasted bread instead of unleavened bread. No, not that I've ever, like Lutherans, we've always used unleavened bread, but I've never heard anybody bring up a complaint about yeasted bread. And so I'm always, okay, well, is juice wine? Well, it's pasteurized. I mean, you could call it pasteurized wine and some people use denatured wine. That's where the alcohol has been removed from it through a different process. I guess all of this is to say, like, where's the line in this? And my answer is, I'm not entirely sure. I know it's somewhere between Coca-Cola and potato chips. That's those aren't the elements and unleavened bread and wine. And where does grape juice fall on that? Well, I don't know. And I'm always going to play it safe by bringing things to the place where I can say, there's no doubt here. Right. And I think that's a good place to be because then we're putting the tricky place. You know, boy, if you use yeasted bread, leavened bread and grape juice and you have the words of institution and they receive it and this is another question we always have like are they receiving the supper i don't have a good answer to that which is why i'm glad i'm in the church because i'd be like okay everything's we've got we got this although i'm sure they ask the same thing about us so it's a very interesting thing they probably have a clear answer probably no <laughs> you know 
But that's one of the unique things about Lutheranism is we do leave space for bad theology won't prevent God from doing what God promises to do. And then the question is, well, at what point is it just so different that it's not the thing anymore? And again, I don't, we don't have like real specific, like this is the white bright line in the sand, but also why do we keep playing games with it? Why is that so attractive to us to, to, I always say if, if God gave us a nice big space to live in and he said, uh, here's a hundred miles of land for you to live on and, and live in it wherever you want to, every single one of us would build our house right on the boundary. And some of us would build it just a little bit over the boundary. We were like, eh, God's probably fine with that. <laughs> Communion is that moment, though, where we, we take these elements and we, we eat them, drink them, and we remember what Christ did for us at the cross. And not only are we remembering it, but we're fully appreciating all that Jesus paid for at the cross for us. We are laying hold of every promise that was given to us through Jesus Christ. And so the Bible teaches us that the bread represents his body that was broken and beaten and whipped on the day that he was crucified. The wine represents his blood that was shed for the payment of our sins. Therefore, by eating of the bread and drinking of the juice, we are just pausing for a moment to appreciate the freedom that we have from sin and the freedom that we have from sicknesses and bondages. And as we take those elements, we're believing that even at that moment that God is using that to bring about greater freedom and healing into our life. This is a very interesting understanding of what it means to remember something. I think it's a very modern understanding of it. When I remember something, I appreciate it. And I like, oh yeah, that was a nice time. And just, oh, that's very much on me. And I control that. And of course, this is our main critique of, of all of this. Well, not our main critique. Our main critique is that we don't let the words of God stand as they are given. Uh, but the focus on remembrance as something I control and that this being really on me dragging myself to the cross instead of the cross being delivered to me through God's promise is what is if I don't appreciate it, you know? And, and I love, we just take that moment, <laughs> you know, how long is that moment supposed to be? I don't, I don't know. You know, it's just, Oh yeah, I, I do appreciate that. You know, I think it is nice uh, that he's recognized because we do get muddled on this. Um, it is the body given on the cross. It is the blood shed on the cross. We are explicitly being taken to Good Friday in communion. I think some people think we're being taken up into heaven and, and Christ there, but the words that Jesus used are quite specific. Uh, the given and the shed is the cross, and, and that's why it's a means of grace, because grace was one on the cross, the, the gift of forgiveness, all the gifts, all the good gifts were one there. Uh, and so this now delivers it to me, but I don't go there. I don't go to him. He comes to me. And so, you know, what do we do with that word remembrance? What does it mean to remember? Well, biblically, it really is what I just said. Uh, when God remembers his people, it's not, it's not a, oh, I like them. It's a, it's a call to action right. to work for them. Right. And we see this many times in the scriptures where God remembered Noah, God remembered Moses, God remembered Samuel. I mean, this is, this is really often in the Old Testament where 
Israel or a saint, whatever the, the case may be, is in a, a dire situation, and the Lord remembers an individual, thus bringing about this action that you're speaking of. Right, and, and a salvific action universally that he would spare them and, and usually separating out the, the evil from the good, all of that, all of those kind of things. So remembrance in the Bible is much more powerful than simply remin- no, reminiscence. Right, noetic uh, recalling. Right, and we are kind of trapped in our modern thinking that we just think memories are just uh, pleasant thoughts, but that is not what is intended scripturally, and certainly it's not what Jesus intends here. The cross becomes real to us, and and in the same way that the people were called to remember the Exodus, they didn't remember it by thinking, wasn't it nice when Jesus delivered it? They would say, I am here because of what happened there, and what happened there is mine. And and that's the beautiful thing is it keeps the cross from being purely a historical event, just as just as their worship, especially on the Passover, kept the Exodus from being just a historical event. It was a present reality for them. Their lives were defined by that historical event today. But even associated with that, there was eating. Right. Of course. Right. Eat the sacrifice and, and receive receive the, the deliverance that God has has brought. Of course. And this is why the Lord institutes it. And this is why the disciples, when they are sitting there and our Lord institutes what we call the Last Supper, none of the disciples were flummoxed by what Jesus said. They didn't say, whoa, wait a second here. What are you talking about? Yeah, because they had just had the Passover meal or, or some, some part of that feast over, the, over that week. Um, and all of this is right in their mind. And, and he's saying something's about to happen just like the Passover. And that truth is going to persist through this meal now. And they just picked it up and, and went with it because they understood to the point that he has communion with the disciples on the Emmaus road, the, the night of his resurrection. And as he goes through that, I mean, it's the breaking of the bread and, and that, that is a hard coded word in the new testament for the lord's supper the breaking of the bread is the lord's supper and that's when their eyes were opened amen so we want to just do communion in a way that unlocks all of that into our life jesus on the night that he was betrayed he was with his disciples and this was the night before he was crucified and At this table, he sat with his disciples and he broke bread with them and he poured this wine and he described to them what was about to happen in his life. And he said to the disciples to continue this process, knowing Jesus, knowing that he would be going to the Father and leaving them. And the, the practice of taking communion, the, the bread and the wine, becomes an ongoing remembrance so that we never forget all that was given to us at the cross. So I'm taking us to a story now in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And what you're going to find here is a time that's 20 years later after Jesus was with his disciples. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about communion. 
And he says this, recounting the story of Jesus when he was with the disciples. He said, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. He said, do this, meaning break this bread, do this to remember his body that was broken for us. He said, do this to remember me. Verse 25, it says, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement that's confirmed with my blood. And again, he's saying, do this as you drink of this, this wine, do this often to remember me. You're probably wondering what translation. Am I, am I guessing correctly? I, I was actively trying to look up 1 Corinthians 11 because I was like, okay, he's running with the, the text and doing an awful lot of editorializing along the way. It's the New Living Translation. Oh, really? Yeah, so this is a, this is a paraphrase. Yeah. I, I mean, the Living Bible came out in the 70s. And now they've updated it, obviously, for monetary reasons. So, okay. So, not and the that, message or anything. Because usually, usually when you get this much editorializing, it's like the message sure, or something. But sure. you're saying the NLT. Yeah. I, that's, that's, that's interesting because I have, I don't approve of the NLT, but a lot of the time it's for somebody who needs a simpler version of the Bible I have found it to not be half bad, but it wouldn't surprise me that it gets real gummed up on sacramental stuff. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, it, it truly is a sectarian Bible translation. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's up here on the screen that I'm looking at. This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. But the uh, editorial work, he was just actually reading the text it says, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm, I just pulled it up. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this and remember. That's very straightforward. But this cup is the new covenant right. between God and his people. Well, that's f fair. An agreement confirmed with my blood. And, and it's, it really is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is, so it's, and, and, and how important is that difference? It's, it's, it's not a being abstracted. There's a, a covenant is simply a promise and a covenant is sealed with blood. Uh, you sacrifice. Uh, Moses had a, the sacrifice with, with uh, God where they, he, and interestingly enough, it was God who sacrificed, not Abraham when they split the animals well he he cut the animals and then walked through them to to Abraham while he was asleep while he was asleep and that's the picture is you you know cuz you're saying like what if i break this covenant let it happen to what happened to these animals let it happen to me kind of kind of idea and that continues on here and you think yeah it's in my blood it, it's not and and it's sealed in that blood it, and so it's a it's an unbreakable promise to us, uh, this covenant, and it is being delivered in this cup because this cup is that blood of the promise. And so we're not just drinking Christ's blood emptily, right? Like, I mean, this is always the thing that comes along, right? This is cannibalisms or vampires or whatever silly stuff people say about it. There's a promise connected to this body of this blood that we are receiving, but we receive it by receiving him bodily and, and bloodily. 
it's just like when Moses took the the branch and he took half of the blood and he flung it on the altar and then he took the other half of the blood and he didn't symbolically sprinkle it on them. He flung the blood of the promise on them. He covered them in it. And this blood invades us and changes us from the inside out. Well, he's going to talk about covenants here, so we'll let him uh, spin this out a little bit. Okay. And so Paul taught them about communion in the scriptures here. There's a time just previous to that, though, that Paul is actually correcting the church because they had made a mockery of communion. They had stopped valuing what it was all about. The church was gathering and they were, instead of taking communion and and appreciating what it was all about, they were actually kind of separating into groups at tables and and so kind of the haves and the have-nots and the rich and and the poor, and they all sat at separate places. And it even infers that at one point that those who got there earlier ate all of the the food, leaving out other people, and it was causing divisions in the church. And so they were missing the point of what communion is all about. Paul said this in verse 20. He said, when you meet together, church here in Corinth, he said, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. In other words, you're, you're just devaluing what this is all about. You're missing the, the point, the power of how communion should bring us together and unlock God's blessings into our life. He's like, you're missing it completely. So Paul then teaches them about communion. And so I believe that we need to learn about communion because Jesus has set a table for us. He's saying, come to the table. And when we come to the table, I want to be not like the church in Corinth. I want us to come prepared, understanding, valuing all that communion means to us and then appreciate it and take it and let it unlock everything that God wants us to have in our life. Can I get an amen? amen. You, you didn't say Amen. We don't make the supper work. And that, this is the problem, right? They're not appreciating the supper, and so they're dividing themselves. Well, certainly that's not communion. Like you, you can't commune by being separated from each other. It's not that they're not appreciating it. It's because our appreciation doesn't change what the supper is. God is in control of it. And, and this is the key difference that we have with most of Christendom, is who controls the supper? It's not me. It's not you. That's why I say the words that the Lord has given me to say. I I don't have, they're not magic words. They're simply words of promise spoken over those elements to say the supper continues today in our presence. But this is the common misunderstanding of worship. Evangelicals all look at worship as being from me to God. So it's, it's one direction. Yeah, and it feels radical when you tell them, what about God coming to us? Right. Like, I never heard that. And But then you kind of, you play it out and they say, this is why being Lutheran is cool because it's like we're we're like stealth, even though we're always, we've always been here. But we tell them these things. We're like, what about God blessing us and forgiving us and renewing us? And then our response is thanks and praise. And it's that two-way street, so yeah. to speak. That's worship. Yes, and it's a, and it's so much better because what are we doing if worship is driven by us, if the Lord's Supper is driven by us, if baptism is driven by us, if preach, all of this stuff, where is God in all of this? He is past tense and has to be. And our God is not a past tense God. Lo, I am with you always. And he is specifically and powerfully with us in our worship. 
And it's worth understanding. And, and I love our definition of worship of what the church is uh, in the confessions, in the Augsburg Confession. What is the church? It is God's people gathered around word and sacrament, right? We don't have to come up with anything fussier than that. It is literally the word preached because faith comes by hearing. It is baptism, which now saves you. It is the Lord's Supper, right? The body given, the blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is all being driven by God. And when you cut yourself off from that, I call that the rearview mirror God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's because that's all you can ever do is all you can ever do is, is just think, oh, I, w- I, I had that once, but now it's all about me worshiping, praising, driving and I mean, we all have days where worship doesn't feel that meaningful. I can go to the Lord's Supper and I can receive it. And I'm, and I'm thinking about an impo- like some meeting I have that afternoon or whatever. Yeah, it's better if I appreciate it. It's better if I understand what's happening there and am awed by it. We, that is true. But whether I'm awed by it or not, God's still doing it. And I can say, thank you, Lord, for doing it even when I don't appreciate it as fully as I should. Sure. I think of the prophets of Baal, uh, you know, in the days of Elijah, who were doing all of this work. When they started, they were doing probably just their little bit of ritual type thing. But then as it went on and Baal was not doing anything, now we start amping it up. We get more intense and more intense. And now we're cutting ourselves and bleeding on ourselves. And Elijah's over there going, you know, you guys are nuts. Right. Why is your God not attentive, right? He must be in the bathroom. That's, right. the, that's the old joke. Right. And, right. I mean, and, I mean, and he says that. And he's really just saying your God's not there. Uh, but here's the cool, our God is there, but our God doesn't say to us, you got to get my attention. Mm. He says, I, you have always had my attention. I, I loved you before you loved me. Do not worry about grabbing, grabbing my attention. I appreciate that. Cause I've never really, there's lots of interesting things going on with the priest of all. I've never really thought of it as a picture of proper worship versus improper worship, right? right. But yeah, because he just says a prayer to God. Elijah just gets the sacrifice together and then just says a, a little prayer to God, and God responds, yeah. which is the way that true worship is. God yeah. responds, then we respond to what he has just given us. Yeah, and Elijah was specifically there because God had, he knew what he was supposed to do. He knew his role in that place, and so it wasn't like he was just like, he, he wasn't even the front end of that, and but this is how ancient worship always was, right? You you made sacrifices to Zeus so that he would notice you and give you good weather. Uh, that's why you gave him expensive things. And uh, when you bought land, you would do things to get the gods' attention. This is why they had uh, what are called temple prostitutes. Is The act of ritual sex would grab the attention of the gods. And so this was another sacrificial act to grab their attention. It was all about grabbing attention. And now suddenly we have a God who says, you don't have to grab my attention. So why are we making sacrifices? Well, we're making sacrifices not for his sake, but for our sake, so that we don't forget, so that we keep our attention fixed on God. And it's so different because I'm the problem, not God. In all the other schemes, it's God or the gods who are the problem. But now suddenly I can say, oh, no, I'm the problem. I'm the one who's inattentive. And this this place of worship focuses me in. 
So in order to, to get to that point, I, I need to teach a moment on what the old covenant is and the new covenant. Now, those may be terms you haven't heard before. So let me explain to you that the old covenant is the time before Jesus Christ, the time that people walked with God before Jesus Christ. The new covenant is from Jesus Christ up until today. So there's a division. Old is before Christ. I, I do have to say, I mean, he's not necessarily wrong here, but I, I want to make very clear. The new covenant begins when Jesus says this cup is the new covenant. It is associated with what's in that cup. Evangelicals look at it through the lens of the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament, and that's the new covenant. It's in the cup, which is, you know, explained to us in those 27 books of the New Testament, obviously the Gospels. But the point I'm trying to drive home is the New Testament, Jesus says, is what's in the cup. My point is not uh, not wise men coming to to uh, to the little baby Jesus, not you know the whole the whole story uh, right. of his birth. It's not the twelve year old. I mean, if the twelve year old son, the twelve year old boy who goes to uh, you know the temple and impresses the priests, all that. It's in the cup. Is the New Testament? Yeah, and I, I specifically agree with that. We definitely don't want to parse this out as Old Testament, New Testament, and 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 because those hard breaks don't do us any favors anyway. Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament, even as he's ushering in the New Testament. Yes, it's in the cup. It's in the cross. It is in his birth. I mean, his incarnation is a is the beginning of this of this promise being renewed. Absolutely, and but right, it's it's fulfillment is fully placed on Good Friday, and the Lord's Supper, the institution of it, ushers in. I mean, that's why do we start the Passion of our Lord with that? Uh, because that is the start of his Passion, and and we can focus there. Uh, you can also expansively talk about the covenant being fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. Absolutely. You can talk about it being fulfilled in the incarnation. Absolutely. But what we certainly don't want to do is is pretend that somehow it's an artificial divide between Old Testament and New Testament. Right, right. Is Christ coming forward to us today? The Bible is divided in that, that form, and it's called the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's referring to the old way that people walked with God and now a new way that we experience. So under the Old Covenant, God established His law for people to follow. God was teaching people what, what righteousness looked like. He was teaching people what, what morally they, how morally they should act and relate. Uh. He was teaching them even about uh, civil governments and things and how people should relate to all of that. He was teaching them that. And so what he did, God did, is he established this law and he demanded or commanded that people follow that law. When they obeyed God's law under that old covenant, God blessed them. So when they obeyed, the blessings were there. When they obeyed that law, he protected them. When they obeyed that law, he guided them. When they obeyed that law, he healed them. They had a great relationship with God as long as they obeyed the law. But if they broke the law, if they were disobedient, if they sinned against God, then his blessings would stop. His protection would stop. 
Well, yeah, that's he, the would, story of the Old Testament. he would allow other nations to conquer them. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see the blessings on them and you'll see when God's not blessing, you'll see them in victory and you'll see them in defeat. And it's just back and forth between their, their victories and their failures based on their obedience to God. They even, when they were disobedient to God, they would fall sick and the, the protection on their, their health was gone. Their walk with God would be broken. And the only way for them under that old covenant to restore their relationship with God and to get back under those blessings again was through repentance and the sacrificing of an animal. Now that sounds intense to me. There's a nugget of truth in that. Of course, we have this pattern of, of apostasy uh, and then renewal as they're called back. Uh, but you have to think about the prophet Hosea, who God said, marry, marry a prostitute, because this is what it's like being, being attached at the hip to you guys. And, but I think that's an interesting picture because it's, it's more than if you're obedient, I'm punishing you. And if you're disobedient, I'm, uh, or if you're obedient, I'm blessing you. If you're disobedient, I'm, I'm punishing you. There's lots of times when they had good times. I mean, think about King Ahab. He is in the book of Kings. He is the guy who is a scoundrel. He's no good. He is the prototypical king of Israel, the Northern kingdom, which is always an apostasy because they, they refuse to come to Jerusalem. But he is the prototype of them all, and you, you, the model you use. From a human standpoint, he was blessed. Israel was richer than Judah. He, was, he did well. He was able to, hey, he got a vineyard. Eh, maybe through less than uh, honorable means, but you know what, what are the blessings we're talking about here? I mean, the problem that keeps being held against them isn't their success. It's, it's that they refuse to honor God. Uh, but he he persists with them, and he he puts up with them until he stops. I mean, there is a point where it breaks. But he is long suffering. Amen. Meaning that his patience does come to an end. And he doesn't tell us exactly when that will be. But he does give plenty of warning, and that's an important piece of all this too. You right know, through the mouth of prophets. Yeah. Sometimes we get really upset with God for being uh, wrathful and bringing judgment. He warned the people during Noah's day. He warned the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a hue and a cry coming from during those times. There's evil in the world and people are being afflicted. And he still gathered the, the faithful out of that. And his judgment was revealed again when, of course, the Assyrians did wipe the, the total apostasy of the northern kingdom off the map. Uh, and then with Judah... He shattered them, but brought back a remnant. And all of that is God's judgment. Those things do happen, but it, it doesn't happen in a way that, that I think from a human perspective, you could say is consistent or predictable. You can't just be like, well, you did a bad thing and God's going to get you. We know that. I always use the analogy with, with my kids. How many times can you go into uh, the lion enclosure at the zoo before a lion eats you? Well, I don't know. But if you keep doing it, it surely will happen. And that's the same picture. But we convince ourselves that if he doesn't eat us, you know, the first five times we do it, then the lion's never going to eat us. And it's like, well, no. <laughs> if After five times, just stop doing it and say, well, thank goodness I didn't get eaten by the lion. 
And God does that with us all the time too. He doesn't always make us feel the full consequences of our actions. He doesn't make us always feel the full consequences of our sin because he loves us and he's trying to gather us into heaven with him. And this is why it's foolish to do a real hard break between the old covenant and the new covenant because the old covenant is the same thing and and they've always had, and uh, I I feel like he's suggesting this and we'll, we'll see as we listen on, that the sacrificial system was the last resort. In case of disobedience, break glass. This was the life of God's people in the Old right. Testament. And that, that is what he's getting ready to do. He's getting ready to uh, disparage, so to speak, the, the Old Covenant. And, you know, I, I get it. I mean, I'm glad we don't have to do what they did. But that does not mean that they despised it. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be irreligious people, and there's always going to be pious people who go through the through the motions, but they don't, you know, they don't really believe it in their heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. The devout man, the devout woman. Let's jump to Joseph and Mary, uh, for instance. Or we could jump to, uh, if you want to go way back in the Old Testament, Elkanah and his, uh, you know, his two wives, mm-hmm. uh, Hannah, who has Samuel. I mean, this is a very devout home they used to go up to the to the temple and do the sacrifice elkanah would bring home the sacrifice or not wouldn't bring it home it would be a family vacation think about that a family vacation for worship this is what we're doing we're spending a week uh, near the temple we're going to have our sins forgiven we're going to honor our god i mean this was to your point this was a beautiful thing it was this it was central to their lives and for us to come along in the new covenant and say those there's no good next, right? right, just, right. I, you could have been so obedient. And, and, and the, again, this is playing that game with God's law that somehow we can keep it. And the law is there to bring us to repentance. The scripture is clear on this. And they knew it in the Old Testament, and we know it in the New Testament. Well, and there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Right. This is the Old Covenant, right? It was yeah. in the, but it's also the New. And again, what is the blood that shed? It's Jesus's blood that's in that cup that you're going to drink. Right. And this is why the book of Hebrews is so good, because it doesn't say that what they were doing was nothing. It was everything. They had the priests, they had the sacrifice, they had the temple, and those things were real and true. Why? Because they had God's promise placed on them. Those weren't symbolic? No. They weren't symbolic priests? No. Symbolic sacrifices? No. A symbolic temple? No. Which, and it's funny because that's what Israel did. They said, God doesn't care where he's worshiped. And so we'll build a temple up. We'll build a temple here in Bethel because that's an God did important stuff in Bethel, and He did. And we'll and we'll build another one up in the tribe of Dan, and we'll put golden calves in there because God's never been offended by being represented by a golden calf before. And he said, "Look, God doesn't care how He's worshipped. He doesn't put parameters on it. He's like, I did, in fact, put parameters on how I will be worshipped." Jesus says the same thing to the Samaritan woman. My people say that this mountain is the mountain. Your people say it's that mountain. He goes, my people are right, but it's changing. Uh, and yet that change doesn't throw open the gates for anything goes. It, it just simply changes the parameters of how God's doing it. And that's why we don't say church is this specific hilltop with a temple on it. We say church is where word is preached purely and the sacraments administered rightly. Sacrificing 
of an animal. Listen, I am glad that I'm on this side of the cross. I am glad I am in the new covenant because I'm a kind of a little animal lover, to be honest with you. I, I like little animals. I, I just, it would just break my heart to have to take an animal and have it sacrificed. Of course it is going to break your heart. That's the point. That's the point. Yeah. We have become so squeamish about just how the world is. And we like to pretend that these things don't happen, that, you know, I mean, we love our dog, but he's, when he dies, he's not going to the country to live with a new family. We like to gussy these things up and make it very sanitary. In some ways, I'm grateful for that. I don't, I don't like dealing with the full consequences of death. I don't like to see people in, in pain. It's wrong. I mean, you, you see how wrong it is, but sometimes when we can disguise the wrongness of suffering and death, we stop remembering that suffering and death are in fact wrong. I do fear that we are playing a game with that in this world. And boy, this was in front of the people. I mean, I do, we always do like to point out how, how awful it must have sounded and smelled in the temple. I mean, they had a, one of the valleys, Kidron. Kidron Valley, was where they dumped all the awful, Blood. yeah, mm -hmm. and and all of that. And I mean, that was just I couldn't even imagine the stench coming from that place. But it was a reminder: their death is your life. And man, that's a that's a visceral reminder. Every time they smelled it, they're like, "Oh, well, better them than me." And that is the truth of of their life it is better them than you well uh, you, you know you're making it out to be pretty bad because it, this was all symbolic right i mean the kidron <laughs> valley was okay, they, filled they, with symbolic blood and these were symbolic smells and i'm sure they were symbolic flies that showed up and uh yeah. were everywhere well and I, it is interesting i i think the idea is that and i guess it was maybe it was somewhat true in jesus day you know could sacrifices become very transactional I bought I bought my pigeons and the priest goes and does it in another room and I just feel good because I, I paid the money. That was certainly never the intent from scriptural from a scriptural standpoint. The people were supposed to be there and witness and be a part of the sacrificial system in that way. But we do this. We, we do this to ourselves where I only want to come to Jesus when I feel bad, when I know I've messed up. And May it not be, you know, may we, may we not fool ourselves into thinking that I only need Jesus occasionally. That's the on-ramp into what we call a therapeutic deism, right? Where I'm mostly okay. Jesus is there for my downtime, for my, for, for my depression, for my feeling bad about myself. And then he'll come and he'll say, oh, it's okay. I, everything's okay. Well, why? Why is it Okay. <laughs> And you can, you can lose sight of the cross, you can lose sight of forgiveness, you can lose sight of sin really quick if it's just about God making you feel okay when, you, when you're feeling down. We're sinners. That doesn't stop. It is only fixed in the blood of Christ. Now, I'm covered in righteousness in my baptism. My, the, the reason I keep coming back to it isn't because God is holding back in baptism. It's because I'm forgetful. I'm the one who's tempted to just take off the robe and every i always say every time i come we come to worship every time we hear god's word preached every time that i receive the sacrament it's like god coming and putting that robe of righteousness put on me in baptism on just a little bit tighter because i've been trying to shrug out of it amen but that's what they had to do here's why all sin has to be punished all sin has to be corrected correction is is the way God would teach them, this is my, high, my moral high standard. And if you don't meet it, there's a correction to bring them to it. 
all sin had to be punished. And rather than punishing the person with a death sentence, they would sacrifice an animal, usually a baby lamb, as their substitute. Let me give you a picture of how it worked under the old covenant. Let's say I am, you know, in the old covenant, I'm living back in those days and I'm, you know, attempting to walk with God through the law. And let's say somehow I broke a law. I'd sinned before God. All the blessings are now gone and I'm feeling the, the weight of that. And I want to restore my, my walk with God. I want to restore the blessings in my life. So what I have to do is to go into my own little herd of lambs and pick out a lamb to take, to be sacrificed. And the children would see that and they would be like, Hey dad, where are you going with the lamb? And it would force a conversation to bring the reality of what sin looks like. And he would say, what? because I have sinned against our God. Is there one example of this in scripture at all? No. Okay. I was just trying to make, I'm just trying to, to like, sacrifice anybody ever like, this is my half of my sin. I mean, you know, it doesn't take, he could have easily used the, the example say of Job who, goes and he makes sacrifice not only for himself but also for his children sure. i mean this was this is a constant theme doesn't matter if it's abraham who everywhere he goes he he sets up an altar what's he what's he setting up an altar for he's setting up an altar to to sacrifice but notice that Job isn't making sacrifices only when he's feeling his oh, right. sin or the lack oh, right. of blessing. He's doing it regularly because he's like, this is my life with God. Exactly. This is how my life with God is mediated. We have the once for all sacrifice. We have the true high priest we, and he is the temple. He's, he's the whole sacrificial system summed up in the God man, Jesus Christ. And that's why we constantly have to return there. We don't have continued sacrifices. Praise be to God. I mean, he's right when he says, I'm, I'm grateful to live on this side of the cross too but we still need to be brought to the sacrifice. And that is what this supper does. And that's why you, you get this weird overlay where you have the Passover, which exists outside of the sacrificial system. Technically, I, I, I would say, I'm sure somebody might disagree with me, but uh, because you're, you're, because it's not happening at the temple is I guess my point, you are picking out the lamb, but you're not doing it because you're feeling bad about, you know, you're just doing it because it's like, it's the time. It's the time of renewal. It's the time of remembrance. Let's do this. And you're not pretending that, well, we don't have to do it this year because I really walked with God real faithfully this year. So we're going to skip Passover. I mean, what a strange notion. Uh, you did it because you've been delivered, right? This is the escape from, from sin. But then you also have, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Passover Lamb is not a sin sacrifice. It's a deliverance sacrifice. It's a redemption sacrifice. The taking away of sin, the, the payment of debt, that's the Day of Atonement. That's Yom Kippur. That's the high holy day in, in Jew, Jewishness still today because that's the day that the, the scapegoats were done where you sent them out into the wilderness with your sin to die with them. And then the lamb was sacrificed for the atoning of all sin. And Jesus brings both of those things together. He is the lamb of sacrifice. He is the lamb of Passover. He's, he's the entire sacrificial system brought into, again, the God, man, Jesus Christ. And all that's left for us is the sacrifice of Thanksgiving, right? Those voluntary sacrifices, which we continue to bring before the Lord. Can you imagine that? Boy, as a family, you would, you would feel the weight of that. 
And God always likes to work through families like that, to teach and, and to learn and to grow families. And so what, the, what I would do in this situation, if I were in that, that place, I would take this little lamb to the priest and I would confess my sin. I would say, this is what I did. And then I would lay my hands on that little lamb and I would transfer my sin into the lamb. My guilt is now on that lamb. And when I laid my hands I on confused. it, it's a transfer I don't think they did of this, my did sin and guilt now into the lamb. The pr- well, I think he's jumping to what you just said earlier about what the high priest does with the scapegoat. But that's conflating. I, I'm, just, I'm just pointing out. Again, all of these things that he's saying are either utterly made out of whole cloth or strange conflations. And I get the desire to want to personalize this and help you to imagine sure. yourself in this situation, sure. but this is really just going to church. It doesn't have to be this elaborate thing. So let's have a teaching moment. Yes, of course we should be teaching the faith in the, in the home. Like it's, there's good ideas in here, but he's giving you a picture of how they dealt with this. It was actually not, I don't think that's accurate. Certainly not. There's never a depiction in scripture of this happening. So we have to be very mindful of that is he is, creating a very emotional picture that the Bible at least says, eh, I mean, if that was, if that was so important, why isn't scripture putting that in the forefront? Then would take that lamb and offer that as a sacrifice. And then I would then leave that moment free of my guilt and sin because it was now in the lamb. This is something that he forgets and it is in scripture he would actually leave but he wouldn't leave empty-handed he would take a portion of that with him that sacrifice and he would eat it yeah. and, the and it's not symbolic the yeah the priest eats the rest he would yeah. take that back home yeah or or you know to wherever his family is you know if they're you know in a tent or something like this you know they're they're lodging there yeah. or staying there overnight the point is the eating part these guys do not see the connection between the eating in the old and the eating at the Passover where he says, take, eat, take, drink. I know. And yet it's, it's all over. I know. It's all I over. Know. But I know. This, this, I mean, and this is one of those places where uh, I know Leviticus is a, is a tough book to read just if you're following your program of reading through the Bible in a year or three years or whatever. But this is the time in a rich place to go. Say, like, well, how many times does it tell what what is eating in there? I mean, it's gonna it's gonna lay it out in Leviticus. Read it, and and just like with the very intention, like when are they eating and who's eating, and and see how much eating is connected to this. It's inescapable, and it is the ingesting of God's blessing. It is what what has happened here now becomes yours. Well, I think uh, to your point, uh, a lot of evangelicals stay out of the Old Testament. You know, they uh, where they where they uh, roll is is in the gospels. And so when you're devoid of I mean, you know, they got they got the big stuff, the stories are there, yeah. but but like what you said about just going through Leviticus and circling all the times that there's eating involved and what does that mean and what is it what's happening there, uh that that's just not how they roll. Well, and then you read that and it helps you to to it helps bring you into the reality of okay, so when Jesus in in John six and, and we're not without even making that explicitly sacramental we can certainly say that he's being explicitly sacrificial when he says you have to eat my blood and or eat my body and then drink my blood which is the one thing that doesn't get consumed 
It's like, this is the one thing that you could never get from the sacrifice because their life isn't enough, but my life, my eternal life is. And that's why now you receive my blood. And you're like, oh, and, and, and so then you start to see the differences and, and you're like, why are the differences there? And then you're like, oh, because God, because Jesus is bigger than what came before. Right. And, and this goes to my point earlier. All the disciples are sitting there. They're all Jewish. They've all been raised with the prohibition against the consumption of blood. Right. Animal blood. Can't do it. I mean, when it, they know nothing about medium rare. Right. I mean, their steaks are jerky. I mean, we're going to yeah. burn all the blood out of there. And then Jesus says, this is my blood. Take yeah. and drink. Yeah. Nobody says, no way, Lord, I'll, I'll never do that. Yeah. It connects for them. It is fascinating because we, I'm, I'm always expecting the disciples to screw up, but they don't hear. They don't. Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, it really is able to go home free, restored in my relationship with God. That was the old covenant. Now in the new covenant, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him and he paying the price for our sin. Instead of an animal paying the price for our sin, Jesus died on behalf of us to pay for all of our sins. And now anyone who believes in Jesus that he died for their sin is saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from the penalty of your sin, the penalty of death. You are saved from that and you are brought into a relationship with God forever. You have that relationship because of Jesus Christ and the and power of the devil. That, you walk in all of God's blessings. Every person that believes in Jesus Christ, just like under the old covenant, when they were right with God, they received his blessings, his protection, his guidance, his healing. Everything was promised to them. We walk in a continual promise of God's blessings because Jesus, he died once and for all for all of our sins. Amen. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, it says under the old covenant. So here's that old covenant thought. It says under that old covenant, the priests, they stand and they minister before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away the sins. And so it's saying the priests, man, they were busy in that day doing all of the sacrificing because people were doing all of the sinning and they just kept this process up over and over and over. It says in verse 12, though, but our high priest, who is Jesus, he offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, which is good for all time. His sacrifice paid for it all, all the past, all the present, and all the future sin that's ever going to be in your life in our world. He has already died for it. All we do is receive it and apply it into our life. Amen. amen church. Yes. Amen. 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 The new covenant. People are blessed, curses are broken, sin is forgiven because of Jesus' death. As, as believers, you know, we don't just simply believe that Jesus was alive. Like there was a man, man named Jesus that walked the earth a couple thousand years ago. That's not all that we believe. Yes, that's true. True. Let me tell you, tell you what we believe in depth. We believe. Okay, I, that's on them. 
That's not us. Okay. The max headroom stuff going on right there. Burr, burr, burr. Yeah. It lasts about uh, 10, 15 seconds. So, so just be patient. Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that Jesus was the substitute sacrifice for sin. We believe Jesus at his death broke the curse of sin, the curse of sickness and bondages. We believe that Jesus is the, is the only way to be forgiven and have a relationship with our, our Heavenly Father. And we believe that Jesus rose from the dead to prove that it's all true. Amen? So, when we take communion, Jesus uses bread and wine as a constant reminder of his death and resurrection. And he wants us as a church to be fully aware of what we believe and what he paid for at the cross so that when we take these elements, we apply them in our life and by faith, we see God do miracles. You know, one of the places you'll see miracles come to pass in your life is during a time of communion because you are so connected to what Christ did. Your faith should be alive and you're, 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 you know, you're conscious of all that he did and you ought to grab a hold of that and say, well, by Jesus's stripes, I'm healed. By his, his body that was broken, I'm alive. And by his blood, I have life in the spirit. Like all of that comes together during communion. Let me make it real practical for us. Well, before he does that, uh, I mean, what happened right there? I mean, yes, there is a miracle that takes place at the sacrament of the altar. But then he makes it non-miraculous right. because it's all about me working something up in myself. Right. And again, it's like it's me just taking all this past knowledge and making it a present reality. And most people are going to do that emotionally. I'm going to get teary-eyed in the reality of what Christ has done. And that's what makes it real. Do I take communion sometimes with tears in my eyes? I, amen. I mean, it, it, it's hard not to. I don't always do it though. I, like I said, I can take communion distractedly. I can take it uh, hurriedly. I can take it all kinds of ways. I still take it faithfully. Uh, I take it faithfully recognizing a, a deep need in me for the cross still. And that, that, that I would be strengthened and preserved in the one true faith until life everlasting. That's, that's the promise that's drawing me there. And here instead, it's just, this is your special time to get worked up. And it, it is just also ephemeral, right? There's just, there's nothing you can hang your hat on. He talked about how amazing it was that this guy could put his hands on the lamb and transfer his sins. And well, that's a, not, not an accurate characterization, as long as, at least as, I mean, I, I, I don't think of a time where the guy actually puts his hands on the lamb, the priest is doing right, all that. Right, right. But he, he makes it so visceral and he, and he points about how important that is and taking that own lamb and pointing to it to your kids and saying, this is for sin. And my sin. My sin. Mm-hmm. And, and it's going to go and it's going to die for my sin. And here all of a sudden, now, what do we have? We've got nothing. But we do. I mean, this, and this is the, the beauty of, of Luther's understanding of Scripture here, right? This isn't Lutheranism. I mean, it is, but it's really just a plain reading of the text. I have a specific place that I can point to and say, there is forgiveness. And it has viscerally touched my tongue and, and, and come into my body. And I, and I feel it. And, you know, one of the things I love are our daughter, Eleanor. I don't get to sit in the pews with, with the family. But at one point she said, 
to my wife that she loves it when she, she they come back from communion because she can smell Jesus on her breath. Oh, <laughs> I mean, come on. And and even I have very visceral memories of smelling the wine on my on my father's breath. Even as I was, I'd stay in the pew and I'd come and I'd just be curled up in his lap, but I could smell it. And and that is a powerful and living memory for me. Those things, but that's all the visceralness. Mm-hmm. And yes, that, that is memory, but it's also it's deeper than that because it's real. Because Jesus has promised that it's real. This is my body. This is my blood. Well, we've just entered into the Advent season, and of course, you know this, Pastor Oakry, but I say it for all of our listeners, you know, the Advent season is a wonderful time, well, for a number of things. There's repentance, but there's also meditation on the fact that Jesus actually comes to us, right? This is what Advent means. And so, he comes to us in his first Advent, very gritty, very... Uh, lowly. Uh, He comes to, as we all know, to to die for the sins of the world. His second advent is when he comes again in glory. And uh, this is the day, obviously, that we wait for. But there's also this third aspect in there, and it's how he comes to us now. And the way that he comes to us now is, as you've already pointed out, through word and sacrament. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the word he has bound himself to, but he's also bound himself to these sacraments, these mysterium, these mm-hmm. these mysteries. And so this guy knows nothing of that. Yeah. And just as an Advent encouragement, uh, yeah, those three Advents are so critical, and we have some hymnody that's very good, like stanza by stanza, it'll... I don't have a good example in front of me. It's, I, see, I, I should offer something and then not actually give a good use. But I, I guess I just say that because, uh, you know, one, if you don't have an LSB in your home, a Lutheran service book in your home, get one. Uh, and, and I'll get my kickback from CPA. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I don't, they don't give kickbacks. No, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> but it's a wonderful home resource. Uh, you should have your Bible. You should have your catechism. You should have your hymnal. And read hymns devotionally. Sometimes we get so busy singing them that we forget the word. But if you take the time to either sing them devotionally, read them devotionally, and there you go. You have page upon page of devotional resources for you for Advent, for Christmas, for, for Lent. And, and those three Advents will become very clear as you, as you read these hymns. Two parts to communion. There's bread and there's wine. The bread, his body, is for physical. His, the wine, his blood, is for spiritual. Those two parts, if you, if you consider the, the bread, you consider the, the bread and it's his body that was broken. His, his um, body was broken so our bodies can be whole. His body is for the physical, natural. Listen, everything in the natural, Jesus paid for at the cross. You can grab the promises of God in every area in your life because of what Jesus did at the cross. Let me prove it to you. Some of you may be thinking, well, really? I thought it was all about the spiritual. Well, here's what it says in Psalms 103 too. It says, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So he's saying, don't forget this. He who forgives all your sins, amen, and what? Heals all of your diseases. Both are included at the cross for us. Yeah, I'd never, I'd never heard that. 
before. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, I've I've heard suggestions towards it at least. I mean, it is. I mean, that we, the bread is for the natural, well, i.e., your body, well, and the blood is for the spiritual. Well, okay, maybe. Uh, well, I. No, I'm not. I'm not saying it's okay. I think I've just heard it before. I'm not saying I've heard it in a good context. Uh, I mean, I've heard. Well, what are we constantly trying to do? We're trying. We're constantly trying to divide and categorize things that ought not to be divided and categorized why are we so obsessed with separating the body from the soul when when that was god's like no i don't want to and your body and soul that's what makes you you i guess even more i've usually you know when we talk you can talk about the lord's supper as what the the medicine of eternity right but that's immortality or immortality that's kind of an that's kind of an eastern orthodox that's more in their their lane it's not but there, there's some I found that can sometimes be useful, but you also have to be careful with it. Um, that uh, because it it's not like we're re-upping on our our daily blood pressure pill or something. Uh, we have everything good in baptism. It's it's just renewing and keeping us in that. Um, but I don't mind. In fact, it's good. I think sometimes we do over spiritualize everything, and I, I'm glad he's addressing that. We do make everything spiritual, and God does care about us bodily. The first article of the creed, we have everything I need to, to support this body and life. We have the fourth, uh, fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, which even gets into it even more. We have what are called first article gifts, and I think it is worth noting that, that God isn't just for dying, isn't just for heaven. I mean, that's, that's a good thing to say. But I'm worried that he's holding them at equal levels, that my body, my bodily good now is as important as my spiritual eternal good. And Jesus is proof against that. He, he gave his body fully as a sacrifice as he committed his spirit into the Lord's hands. And again, I don't want to over divide the body and the spirit, but because God wants them to be together. But finally, we have to see the ultimate good as eternity. Uh, and be able to say when a person is dying, God hasn't failed you here. I I really love what you taught me because uh, we were always been taught, you know, how does God answer prayer? Yes, no, and maybe. There's nowhere in scripture where God ever says, I'm going to say no to a faithful prayer. Like it, it, it's, it's almost, it's like, it's so, you, when you say it like that, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, yeah, I'll say no. Please give me a yacht. I, I never told you to pray for a yacht, right? He'll say no to unfaithful prayers, but a faithful prayer, he'll either say yes, or I've got something better. Now, the better we may not want, right? We, I, I, don't, I don't want the better healing. I don't want this person that I love to go to heaven because I know it's good for them, but it's not good for me. But then that's what the Psalms are for, which is to say to Lord, Lord, I, I know that there's a bigger promise than this moment, but I just want the promise of this moment. But then in faith saying, but, you, but you're the Lord and I'm not. Mm. I don't know if it's worth anything, but he switches translations here. Oh, that's always so dubious. Be careful. Oh, I, it, he, it, this is NIV that he's uh, that he's referring to here. So well, he's gone from the the I, living tran- new living translation to the. To I, the I guarantee NIV. you, he was new, using new living translation because it would better emphasize right. him. Right, on, of course. Never trust a person who who won't just wrestle with the, the text before them and and commit to what they have, and and then say this says this, but it really means this. If if there's a new because there are nuances there that, are. between yep. translations. Yep. Sure, yep. we we do we deal with that all the time. Right. But oh, have you ever read a book where they like, there's like 
in one chapter, they'll use 12 or 13 different translations of the Bible as they're quoting through. You probably don't read garbage like that. <laughs> no. no, good, don't. I mean, it, but it, it, it should always set off a red flag. This right. person is using translations to manipulate things to get them to say what they want them to say. That is exactly right. The book says, Isaiah says this, um, chapter 53, 5. It says, but he was pierced. Jesus was pierced in his side. The Bible says that water and blood came out when he was pierced on the cross. Blood came out. He says he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Listen, church, I want you to, to understand that at the cross, Jesus paid for everything in your life. He paid for your spiritual life to be healed and he paid for your physical, natural life to be healed as well. That is God's blessings upon his people. Amen? You can clap for that. Go ahead. That's worthy. All right, so in a few minutes, we're gonna take communion and I want to, to break this process of communion into kind of three sections. And so before you take communion today, one is I want you to remember his sacrifice. I want you to... I, I got to stop him here. It's kind of driving me crazy. I got to remember three things now. I mean, not only am I going to remember what Jesus did, but now there's... A, it's just law. You're, you're taking something that yeah. is purely meant for gospel. Gift, all gift for you. And now you're turning it into law. Right. Here's the things that I want you to do when you come forward. And I've heard this from other guys before. Here's the, here's the three things to keep in mind. Here's the four things to do as you go back to, you know, Eleanor just saying, I smell Jesus, you know, on my breath. I mean, yeah. she's just enjoying it, right? But right. we got to go back and, and do, do these various things. This drives me crazy, but maybe that's just me. Here's my thought. When Jesus was pierced to make you whole. I mean, there is no, there's no thought. It's all about the physical, and it is not about the spiritual. There, yeah. There's nothing regarding the beauty of the forgiveness of your sins. No, it, that, that was interesting. I, I thought we would have a longer section of him talking about the body representing the, the physical. Which, and let's be, I, I want to be crystal clear. Splitting the body and the blood from each other as if one has an, one effect and right. one has the other is right. deeply weird. That's what, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah. So I'd never heard this in my yeah. life. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking on it on a, on one level when I was addressing it before, but like this whole idea like, okay, I've received the body and that's for my body and here's the blood, which for my spirit, they're both, they're either, I mean, they're both, they're both memorial, so they're both spirit or they're both real, which means they're both, physical they're both bodily right i mean but what is the promise put upon them the promise is for forgiveness it really is a, right. it is a spiritual blessing right and it's from that spiritual blessing of forgiveness that other good blessings flow I, but, but this is the thing where where is he talking about promise it's he's he's he well he's mentioned them i mean he's talked about everything that the cross has accomplished and good on him for that he's actually talked pretty powerfully about the cross but now he's going to point to communion and he's going to take the cross out of it. Or even more to the point, he's going to put the cross hidden behind it and say, now it, now you have to go to it. As if somehow we could. As if somehow I could. As, this, is, this is that ascent stuff. I can't ascend to the Lord. He must come to me. And 
there just what can you do and and now we're we, we are getting split up and you know whatever he's going to say there can be useful disciplines in this we have prayers in the in the hymnal uh pre-communion post-communion and those are useful um but i also have lots of times when i just go up and take communion and i receive it and i go back to my seat and i continue saying I mean, most of the times I take communion and I'm getting up to go and serve communion myself. And those things are there simply because sometimes you're like, am I ready for communion? Is, is, you know, you, you might have some, some thoughts stirring in your head, maybe some seed planted by Satan that somehow you're unworthy. Those things are good to, to have a resource to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to pray and prepare. You, you have communion and you're like, I want to take a little time for meditation. I sometimes do that. Sometimes I don't. And, this whole idea, like we're going to put this just real rigid structure around it and build and build, build. Well, that's what that's what the Catholic Church did. They they had the supper, and then they built what Eucharistic prayer around it and all of this pomp and circumstance around it. And the thing that matters got swallowed up by the stuff that was supposed to point you to the thing that matters. And you just always be careful about that. Don't ever lose sight of the thing that matters for the things that are trying to bring you to the thing that matters. Ember of what he did. So in a few minutes, we're going to take the cup and it's going to have a little bread and a little juice in. But before you take it, I want you to remember his sacrifice. Remember the price that was paid for our salvation. This should remind you of the depth of Jesus's love for you. When you think about what he did, his body that was, that was broken and whipped and mocked and he was spit on, he went through all of that for you and for me. When you pause and you think about that, that ought to cause you to in turn want to turn around and say, oh Jesus, I love you, thank you. Like you loved me so much. The Bible says in John three sixteen, and how great is it that I get to preach on John three sixteen? for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Listen, it's his son. He paid the price for us. My goodness, to think about that ought to cause us to worship. You know, one of the things that we do in our church really well is we worship really well. And the reason I think we worship really well is we have a good understanding of all that Jesus has done for us. Man, if he hadn't saved me and set me free, man, my life would be in trouble. Man, if he hadn't saved some of you, come on, some of you could testify. You know, you know. Some of you? Come on. (laughs) I mean, what a, what a piece to put it, like some of you are probably, probably would have been okay without Jesus. You were doing all right, but you, Fred, I mean, you, right, were, you right, murdered somebody, right? right, right. right. And that's those testimonials, right? Like, and I, you feel that way sometimes you're like, man, I wish I had murdered somebody before I became a Christian. I would have had a really good testimonial. Praise be the Lord. You didn't. Right. And, and notice, I, I think this is fascinating, right? He's putting, he, this is exactly what I'm talking about. The thing, he's trying to bring you to the thing that matters, the, the, the thing God Christ instituted, and he's putting all the weight on that end of it. And he says, and then we're going to give you a little, little bread and a little juice. What a, what a shameful way to talk about the Lord's Supper. And we can fall into this. This is why pastorally we handle the elements reverently. It's, it's not because my reverence makes it, makes it be one thing or the other. But when I'm holding that cup and it is the blood of Christ 
I, I want people to understand that this is important and pre- this is the precious thing. It's not your thinking about it. It's, it's the thing itself. And we want to handle that thing with care and love, not because it makes it better, but because it teaches. And to just say, here, have a little wine. Here, have a little bread. Like, no, take, eat. This is the body of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his true body given for you. Take, drink. This is the blood of Christ. Let's talk about it powerfully in that moment. A little bit of bread, a little bit of juice. My goodness. What, what a, I mean, how are these people not going to eventually just become, I mean, that's, that's almost sneering to, to talk about it that way. And I know he's trying to be folksy, but your folksiness is undercutting a beautiful thing that God has given these people. But he saved us for eternity. I will praise him for what he did. Man, that's why I love worship. Listen, we have a good worship team. I love these guys. I, I could sing their praise. Well, you would want me to sing their praises, but I could talk their praises a lot. And, and they're amazing. But be honest with you, it's not about them. It's about who they lead us to. And it's about our Savior that we get to worship. It's amazing. So just before you take communion today, I want you to take a moment and worship and say, thank you for the price that was paid for my life. Then we'll take communion together. So before it's worship, during communion, there's two parts, his body and his blood. When you eat of that bread, I want you to to think about if there's anything in your life that you need healing for. I want you to think, is there anything in this current place that you need God to touch in your life? Because the Bible teaches us that that we are, we are healed, the natural, the, 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 that part of our life, he wants to touch that as well. As an example, and for my life, uh, some of you know a little bit of my journey, but I had some high blood pressure that kicked up in the middle of the summer and, and went on a journey to find you know, healing and health for all of that. And, and God is doing great things and using some medications to take care of it. And I praise God for doctors. But um, honestly, you know, for my future, I'm believing for God for total healing in my body. And, and so, I mean, that's what I'm standing on. In the meantime, I'm grateful for the doctors. But for now, uh, I'm, I'm praying. So when I take communion today, I'm going to take that bread and I'm going to say, God, you died for my blood pressure too. By your body that was broken, mine is healed today. And so like, I'm going to come in to touch with his body. Think about this. Think about the lady that, that worked herself through the crowd. What did she do? She touched Jesus. Remember that? When she touched him, she was healed. Listen, I'm going to touch that bread and believe that I'm touching his body today. And when she touched him, she was healed. When I touch that today, I'm believing for healing today. All right. Now I like this. It's terrible, but I did like it Okay. because number one, the woman touched the fringe of his garment, basically the tassel as a, yeah. as a devout Jew. He's wearing a longer tassel. You've seen them before on the four cor- mm-hmm. corners of his shirt, uh, and this is what she touches. So she didn't touch his body, but be that as it may. I believe that when I am touching the body of Christ and I'm handing it to people and putting it in their mouth, I say this is the true body. I'm touching it as well. However, I'm not looking at that to deal with my enlarged prostate. I am looking at that and eating it 
for what's promised in it. Right. To I deal mean, with the spiritual problems. Yeah. What, what What is promised here? It is forgiveness of sins. Right. And so to come here and say, this is for my high blood pressure. I mean, when he said that, it shocked me. It just sounds wrong. Why don't I like this? He says, when I believe that the bread is that body, my belief is not what powers this. It's the promise that powers it, I guess. And, and you know, I don't say, believe this is the body of Christ. Now, I want you to believe that. I want you to hold that to be true. But we don't plead. We just say, here's the truth. Mm-hmm. And now, in the Holy Spirit, in faith, believe it, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know, we, we use belief, right? That, that's the, the creed is, is that. And so, I, I, don't, I want to be careful. I'm not saying it's wrong to say, believe something, but he, he leaves me thinking, and certainly because he sees it as symbolic, all that he has is the belief. And there's no truth in that. It's just, it's just, I believe that this is connecting me to the cross somehow, some way. And we're like, well, it's connecting you because of the promise of Jesus that it is connecting you. That's not, it's not just somehow. And is that like readily reasonable to me? No, it is a mystery, a mysterium, uh, but it is still a promise, a grounded promise. And then, you know, what he's doing is something that I think a lot of people do. And so I think this is worth spending some time because I talked about first article gifts. Uh, and what we tend to do is we tend to treat first article gifts as a completely separate category from, from second article gifts. The second article gifts are the reasons why first article gifts are, are there. It is only for the sake of Christ redeeming the world that God continues to bless the world. And the world receives blessings because God's people are in it. Uh, it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous, but if there was nothing but unrighteousness, God would not bless that. His blessings come for our sake and because, and for our sakes, because of Christ's sake. So yes, when I take the Lord's Supper, it is for first article means too, but avoid thinking of it as a completely separate category. Like God gives me good things in this life. And then yes, he also gives me forgiveness, which is the bigger thing. No, I have the thing forgiveness. And then underneath that are all these other earthly blessings, transitory that I don't want to put my trust in, but I still desire and welcome from the Lord. They're not separated out. And again, this is the added weirdness of talking about the body being earthly gifts versus the blood being spiritual gifts. You're, you're really doing a hard line. Like God gives bodily gifts, God gives spiritual gifts, and they're not connected to each other in any real way. But what if this guy's high blood pressure does not get healed as a result of him taking the body? I mean, you've already said it. He doesn't have a promise from God that that's going right, to happen. Right. Uh, so to, for, yeah. for, for me to then impose a promise right, upon it. Right. To, to directly connect this with, with that. Like this is, this is almost like a prayer thing. This, I'm just coming to the Lord with all my prayers. It's also a little weird. I think we would say before you come to the supper is when you think about all the things you're stro- you're suffering with, right? That's, that's your time of introspection and repentance so that in faith you can receive God's forgiveness. But he's like, in that moment, I mean, I guess it works out well because I think they, they don't come up, right? They just distribute it and they could kind of sit there as long as they want to thinking about all this stuff before they consume it. But it's just like, no, take eat, take drink. And, and I never appreciated how the way we do it with attention from the pastor as the hand of God delivering it, uh, as God's agent delivering it, let's say it that way. And it kind of just strips away your ability to, to somehow 
inflexibly make this about yourself, right? It's here and you've got it and we're going. Yeah, it's it's done. And you can think about it before and you can think about it after, but in the middle, you're you're just busy eating and drinking, which is what it's meant for. How about you? You want that in your life? Like that's powerful. The Bible says that in 1 Peter 2, 24, that um, it says... A totally... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Totally different translation. Which one's this? This is uh, New King James. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's, that's real... Again, I'm not saying that it's wrong per se, but it is a big red flag if they're just jumping around all kinds of translations. Right. His own body on a tree on the cross that we having died to sin might live for righteousness, but by whose stripes you were healed. He's still running down this physical side. That, yeah. that, that communion is for not just your spiritual life, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's for your... Now, how, this is blowing me away because how do you have a symbolic meal that is now doesn't do anything for you spiritually, but yet it's supposed to do something for you physically? Because in his remembrance, it becomes real, right? I mean, that, that's, this is literally what he's saying. The more real it is to you, the more real it is. And it's just like, no, it's just real. I mean, it's just real. It is, is what it is, which is part of the reason why you can take it unworthily. You know, I don't know how you wrestle. If it's purely symbolic, then the worst you can say is that you're just receiving bread and wine thoughtlessly. But the fact that it is something else, it is the body and blood of Christ, is why you can receive it to your condemnation. Because the realness of it is, doesn't depend on you, nor, nor does the realness of anything, right? But this is where we get very kind of postmodern, very Gnostic about this stuff. Promise. So anything in your natural life, in your physical life that you want Jesus to touch today, maybe it's, you know, your sorrows turn to joy. Maybe it's your emotions back to peace. Maybe there's stress in your life. Maybe there's marriage problems, whatever it may be. Let this be a moment that by faith you come into contact with the body of Jesus Christ. And you say, God, you did it for a woman in a crowd. You did it for my pastor. I believe you can do it for me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Then we'll take the juice and we'll remember that through Jesus Christ, we are fully forgiven. That we, for not another minute in our day, do we carry shame. Not another second do we walk in guilt again. Not another day do we have condemnation. Not another day do we look back at our past and let it haunt us for what we did. We are set free. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. All right, we don't have a problem with anything he's saying here, I don't think. No, that's there's truth in that, except he's, he's still, the driving force behind it is my belief, not Christ himself doing it. Well, also, too, this is symbolic. Right, and that's, I mean, that's why. If, if it's just a symbol, then it, it, the symbol only has as much meaning as I give it. You are set free because of Jesus Christ. When you take of that juice, I want it to cleanse you, wash you, remind you of everything every sin that's been forgiven and it's gone and you never have to walk or carry that shame again. Amen, church? Amen. And last, last, when you finish communion today, remember to renew your commitment to follow Christ. 
It's a great time to say, Father, thank you for what you've done. I've already forgotten the first thing that I was supposed to do when I come and take communion at this church. Um, oh, worship, which with a really weird definition. Uh, we would just say worship is receiving from God. I would never be like... All right, what was the second one? Uh, b- believing. Oh, okay. Maybe. Okay. I, mean, I, don't, I can't remember what word to use, but believing that he'll do keep, do, keep promises. Sure. And so now it's recommitting. Yeah. Result, I want to dedicate my whole life to you. Maybe there's been a season where you've lost track with your walk with God. Maybe there's been a little drift. Today, as you take that communion, his total grace is on you. You don't have to beg and squabble with God. You just say, God, I'm back. And he receives you that simple today. So I encourage you when you finish communion, say, God, I dedicate my whole life to you. Amen, church. Hey, let's take communion together. Um, There are cups that were given to you. If you don't have a cup, there's people that are ready to run one to your seat. So raise your hand real high if you need a communion cup. All right, we're going to back out of this and let them do. Let them do. How does my daughter say it? You do you, boo. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll just let them do their own thing. (laughs) That was something new. I mean, I've heard a lot of sermons about the sacrament of the altar, the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist. I mean, I've heard a lot of sermons. We've done a lot of sermons on the plucked chicken. That was the first time I'd ever heard healing, physical healing brought into the mix. Well, that's, that's, that's fair. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm just, I mean, I mean, I've certainly never heard it explicitly this way, which is that hard, like the body is physical and the, the blood is spiritual. It's uh but the other, you know, uh, we've, we've hit this a few times, but um, we build ladders to God and mm-hmm. they're never adequate, right? We build towers. To, we build towers of Babel, mm-hmm. as it were. Mm-hmm. And, and the three ones we talk about are enthusiasm, my emotions, uh, uh, rationalism, my mind, and works righteousness, my, my deeds. We think I can do enough to, to go to God. Uh, I can think all the right thoughts and, and under, like dissect God to the point where I can go up to him. And then here, uh, and this is a very common, I think this is probably the most common appeal in our day and age, is this emotional appeal. You connect yourself through fervent belief that you generate in yourself. How you do that, I don't know. If you're struggling with that, he doesn't give you really any help with that. He just says, do it. Which, I mean, you've talked about that. Like, this is the problem is what happens if that's not happening? What happens if I'm not feeling connected to the Lord? What happens if, if I receive that and it just looks like a piece of bread to me? What does that mean? And we have an answer. It doesn't change the promises of God. And let God, through his promises, change you. You've told me that when you deal with struggles like this, and you say to them, somebody, they just say, you just need to believe more. Mm, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, that's the problem from the outset. Where's my help in believing? And, and I, as far as I know, it generally tends to be a giant shrug. Read your Bible more. Pray, pray more. more. And you're like, okay. It's, it's, when we can point to the promises of God and we see God as the driver of the good things coming to me, I can say, I believe, help my unbelief. But I don't see any room for that here. It's, I believe, and I better believe good so that I can see all the benefits of it. And so let my blood pressure. I mean, he doesn't go that far. He doesn't say that your blood pressure won't be healed if you don't do this. It's just, 
this connection here. I also like how he held himself up as an example, even though he hadn't had the example yet. I, I've gone to the doctors for my blood pressure, and I trust that God will give me full healing, and, and you can be like me. You still have high blood pressure. You just had a funeral here. And what was the promise? Lazarus, risen from the tomb, is still going to die. That woman with the discharge of blood is still going to die. We're all still going to die, even if his blood pressure is healed. What is our hope? And, and this is the important thing, is when, when we divide the blessings of this life from the blessings of eternal life, I enjoy the blessings of this life for what they are, because I know that I have a bigger promise. And I can, I can say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, because I'm not holding on for dear life to everything this world has. Well, I'm going to take the Lord's Supper, and uh, not today, but uh, when we gather for church on Sunday, I'm going to take that for the forgiveness of my sins, and I'm going to take Saul Palmetto for my enlarged prostate. There you go. That's right, because God does work. God brings his blessings to bear on us through means, and and there's a reason why, why we would say when we pray for daily bread, it's located in prayer right, uh, and seeking those earthly blessings that way. Well, Pastor Oakry, thank you very much for taking up the call to listen to yet another evangelical sermon, and uh, it's been great having you here, and we'll do it again some other time. You've been listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors Devin Kearns and John Bryce. If you'd like to support the work they do, go to their Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the plucked chicken.